Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studio, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. This is Chicago's number one and most listened to sports station. 670 The Score is Chicago Sports. Chicago Sports is the score. WSCR and HD Chicago. WBMX HD2 Chicago. And Odyssey Station. The score! I think it's really important to always be tethered to reality, right? I think that, you know, you, one of the things in this game that's that's super important is understanding where you are competitively and, you know, where you project and, um, you know, hope isn't a a business model. You know, you have to be tethered to to the numbers and and know, okay, this this is the quality of our team right now. This is, if we spend money on these players, this is, this is where we'll be. I mean, those are things where where you're not going to share with the public all the time. I think exactly where we project ourselves, but I think it's incredibly important. That is Jed Hoyer speaking on top of the song from Linda Ronstadt. Arizona native, Linda Ronstadt. Oh, I see what you did there. You got Arizona songs because Arizona's in town. You got some New York songs because the White Sox are the Yankees. I get it. I get it, Spiegel. I'm listening. Or if you didn't get it, now that's me explaining it. Um, it's hit and run. We're here until noon, right? Why not, Sean? This is an idea whose time has come. It's only, I think, my, I don't know, ninth year doing hit and run? 11th? It's a great idea. Uh, what the hell am I doing? It Why not? Good. It was good. You picked some good songs, too, man. All right, well, good. Well, I love music, and, you know, I want to hear music, and music is good. So, you know. Um, it's only, how long have I been doing this show? I think I did it right away when I got here in 2009, um, got back here, started as an intern at the score in 1994. For those who don't know, my first, my first time on the air, um, was doing a segment for North and Jiggets called baseball city. Props to Mike North for identifying me as someone who might have some value as a baseball conversationalist and put me on. And then um, would host on the weekends a little bit, et cetera. Um, used to produce for Mike Murphy, longtime baseball guy and Cubs uh, advocate. And he was uh, encouraging in terms of my baseball chatter. And anyway, and then I worked with the great Barry Rosner on Hit and Run for so many years. Took some time off. Connor McKnight and Barry Rosner was a hit and run show without me for a little while because I was busy and now i'm just thrilled to be back talking baseball in a two-team town like this one nine to noon every sunday morning right here on the score and finally this show has the associate producer it is always needed finally 
There's a 10-year-old with aggressive communication skills working the phones on the other side. He's working them, man, too. He's asking them, hey, where are you calling from? We need to know. What did you want to talk about? He's, he's grilling them. Oh, God. Texture says, I told your call screener, sometimes you prejudge. This guy's talking about a conversation he had with the call screener. Is that Ruben? Probably. I think so. Amazing. Amazing. Well, God, thanks to all of you. Uh, for being here. Here's what's going on today. The Cubs will play the Diamondbacks later on. Wade Miley at 120 will deliver the first pitch to the Diamondbacks. I don't have an Arizona lineup, but I do have a Cubs lineup, and I can tell you that P.J. Higgins is the catcher. Our own Bruce Levine reporting that uh, that uh, Wilson Contreras is day-to-day. He left the game yesterday um, after um, being a base runner. P.J. Higgins has been called up. And they designated Ildemaro Vargas for assignment. Man, that's rough. He just homered. Ildemaro Vargas just homered. Congratulations, you're designated for assignment. We'll see if somebody claims him. If not, the Cubs can uh, send him down in 10 days. Or if somebody claims him, they can trade him. That's how the designation works. But the lineup is Ortega leading off against the righty Merrill Kelly. Jonathan Villar, who had a big hit left-handed yesterday. Seiya Suzuki, who struck out to end that game yesterday on a vicious Perfectly placed slider from Mark Melanson. Just absolutely perfect. But man, didn't you want Saya to do something of consequence there? Ian Happ is the cleanup hitter playing left field. Patrick Wisdom and Frank Schwindel, who went back-to-back yesterday, are inverted. If they go back-to-back today, it would be Wisdom going first. Wisdom and Schwindel. Alfonso Rivas is your first baseman as Frank DHs. I like when they do that. Rivas is better than Frank as a defensive first baseman. And Rivas's bat should be out there as often as possible here in the see-what-you-got situation that is the Cubs season. Andrelton Simmons at shortstop. I hope if he's given the chance, he makes a better relay throw than he did yesterday in the ninth inning. And I mentioned P.J. Higgins is your catcher. Um, The White Sox and the Yankees have a twin bill coming up. We do have lineups for their first game beginning at 2.05 Central. Johnny Cueto, who was phenomenal last time out, his first start for the White Sox against the Royals, ended up getting a no decision but was just phenomenal. He will go against a vicious Yankee lineup that includes DJ LeMayhew, Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, Josh Donaldson, Aaron Hicks, Isaiah Conner, Falefa, Marwin Gonzalez gets a start and left, and the catcher is Jose Trevino today after Kyle Higashioka uh, got the start yesterday for the Yanks. That's such a good, smart-hitting lineup. Did you see what the attack plan was against Dallas Keuchel yesterday with consistency? Gordon Beckham did a great job talking about it along with uh, Jason Benetti on the broadcast, um, and it was, it was go the opposite way. Go where the pitches hit. And Dallas, trying to live outside, could not live outside with success. Several people with opposite field hits. And then DJ LeMayu with the opposite field grand slam was the big blow, obviously. The White Sox lineup against the righty Jamison Tyon is this. Tim Anderson leads off, hitting 350 is Tim Anderson, showcasing the hand-eye coordination, the bat-to-ball skills that have made him an elite hitter for several years now. Just a remarkable hitter. And a great pick in Beat the Streak. Every damn day. I mean, T.A.'s he's leading off. He, he likes hits. He doesn't like to walk. Although he's walked a little bit more of late. He's walked a little more. Which is only going to help him. But in terms of Beat the Streak, 
high batting average, relatively low on base percentage. Um, that's why you like Tim Anderson. You like Rafael Devers, guys like that, and beat the streak. But that's not why you called. And I'm stalling because I didn't want to get to the two-hitter. Leori Garcia is batting second for the White Sox. Tony! Tony! Man, Tony is slave to handedness. And yes, Leori had a double yesterday. He also struck out in one of the ugliest at-bats that the White Sox had in the ninth inning against Clay Holmes. I think that was to finish it. Leroy Garcia is not a two-hitter. He's a good executor. Tony has this thing, this love for certain veterans and this belief that handedness matters so much. Put A.J. Pollock up there in the two-hole. A.J. Pollock is raking right now, as we were promised he would eventually. He looks beautiful at the plate, does A.J. Pollock. Put him up there. He's in the five-hole. Grandal in the six hole. Hell, put Grandal up there. If you really want a handedness issue, put and you like Grandal's patience, put him up in the two hole. I know he's been disappointing, but I don't want Leary Garcia getting the extra plate appearance that a two hitter very probably is going to get in the eighth inning or the ninth inning of a tight game. Nobody wants that. And it's not like he's some pitch taking machine to be between Tim Anderson and Luis Robert, like Yoan Moncada is is supposed to be right there. If you can't play Moncada, put Grandal there. If you can't do that, you don't want to do that, then put either Pollock or Andrew Vaughn there, whoever's hitting the best. I'm Matt Spiegel. This has been my lineup rant for today's Tony La Russa situation. Luis Robert hits third. Jose Abreu hits fourth. Then it's Pollock, Grandal. Gavin Sheets will play first base. Abreu gets the mini off day, or at least the first game, as a DH. Adam Engel in right field. Josh Harrison at third base. Load management, everybody. So that's your lineup for the first game. 312-644-6767. If you want to hop in on anything about these ball games, Sean Anderson and I have been talking about something that, that we want to do called fundamentally sound. And it feels like as good a moment as any to slip this in since I just mentioned the beautiful ball player that is Luis Robert. And as great as he is in center field, as gorgeous as he can be in center field, there was a moment the other day that made me want to talk outfield technique. I don't have Doug Glanville on the line anyway. I promised him I'd, we'd talk about it more later. But um, we're going to talk to Justin Steele in about 15 minutes or so. I'm really looking forward to that. But in the meantime, let's talk about fundamentally sound. This is a sacrifice fly um, that the Kansas City Royals were able to get after a uh, stand-up triple um, for the Royals the other day, the other night, this is in the game that the White Sox lost before they took the final of the five-game series. Here's the sack fly from the other night. And Isbell gets it into center field. Robert can really throw. He catches it flat-footed. Here comes Rivera. Here comes the throw, and it's up the line. Kyle Isbell's sack fly gives the Royals a two-run lead. Isabel not wasting any time. He wanted to get one elevated or even through on the ground, and this will work. Robert's throw didn't have enough on it. All right, that, that's a great call from the Kansas City guys at Bally Sports. Um, uh, somebody told me that, that the local TV guys also pointed out the Robert, um, the way that he played that fly ball. See if that's in there, would you, from the same day? There's Sean Sears. Sean Sears doing a great job producing the show, especially when I give him um, outrageous requests on the fly. But you heard what he said, flat-footed. 
as good as Luis Robert is, if we're talking fundamentals here and we want to look at fundamentally sound moments, that was not a fundamentally sound moment by Luis Robert. It was not. It was flat-footed, as the broadcaster said, and then it took an extra little crow hop for him to get into throwing position and deliver the ball. And because of the speed and the urgency and, you know, some of the understandable anxiety with which he executed that little crow hop to get in position, he didn't put everything he could have on the ball. Now, look, I have not played outfield in the major leagues, but I've watched a lot for decades and I've studied. And after this, I went to YouTube and found a few different outfield instructors to confirm what I had been feeling, what I had been thinking. And how you play that ball in center field is to keep your feet moving, to keep your feet pumping. And if you guys have ever played outfield out there listening or have had good outfield instruction, you know this. Keep those feet moving as you get underneath the ball. And you want to slide a little bit to your left so you make that catch with the glove over the right shoulder, over the throwing shoulder. So get under it, get there way early, which Luis had the chance to do. Then keep your feet pumping, move a little bit left, so when you catch that ball, you immediately segue with those quick active feet into prime throwing position, get the full weight of your body behind it, the full power of your arm behind it, and give yourself a chance to make the best, most powerful, accurate throw possible. So is that Luis Roberts' fault as a player? Is that Daryl Boston's fault as an outfield coach? Let's say both. We don't know for sure. Let's go ahead and say both. A major league outfielder in his 156th game, or whatever it is at this point for Luis Robert, should know how to do that, should know to do it right. An outfield coach who's working with these guys should know to tell them how to do it right. And get. And here's the thing that I, I won't stand for, is the idea that, you know, major league players, when they get here, they should know how to do stuff. That's not how it works anymore. With the acceleration of using guys early on when they're at their cheapest or using them when they're at their healthiest and potentially most productive. We see it all the time. Young guys come up. Have they had enough instruction in the minors? Well, they'll get more at the majors. Oh, will they? They better. They're supposed to. Your coaching staff is supposed to be great. It needs to be great. And you know, if you've heard me talk ever, I have issues with some of the loyalty hires on this White Sox coaching staff. I think Ethan Katz is phenomenal. One of the best in, in the game as a pitching coach in terms of knowing everything that is available in his arsenal analytically and uh, technically and being able to conversationally figure out what his pitchers need and give them whatever they need from that arsenal. Doesn't teach it all the same way. You wouldn't want anybody who does. But anyway, in terms of communicating and teaching, I, I, I have doubts about several other members of that White Sox coaching staff, and I'll be, I'll be vocal about talking about it. I have. So I, I don't know. Do they have the um, communication, desire, uh, and passion, energy, interest, and skills to communicate stuff like that? I have my doubts. So fundamentally sound is the, uh, is the bit. Anything Sean sees during the week, anything I see during the week that does fit, we will do it occasionally on Hit and Run and squeeze it in. Let's take a couple of quick phone calls here before we take a break and hopefully talk to Justin Steele. This is John and Bartlett on the score. Hello, John. How are you? 
I'm good. I'm good. I wanted to make a comment. Your uh, your son was very professional and polite, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. So uh, he's doing a great job. Excellent. To that information. Excellent. Um, so in regards to your comment earlier on the Cubs, you had made a made a statement that you thought they're more of like in a build situation as opposed to a rebuild. Mm-hmm. But I see this team as a 90 loss team the way they're playing, and I don't think they're going to stabilize and get anything any any better during the year. Um, there's so many holes, so many like positions that need to be filled. I, a lot of the current players on the team, I don't think they're the you know they're going to be moving in the you know when there's actual like a, a winner on the field. I don't think they're going to be on the team. So how do you where are you getting this you know Basically, my question is, like, how do you think this is going to be a build situation as opposed to a full rebuild? Because I just don't see it. Uh, because a full rebuild doesn't bother to sign players of consequence to slightly longer-term contracts. A full rebuild, you know, other than, like, remember when they signed Edwin Jackson and we were like, what the hell is that about? And that was kind of a weird one. Um, this is not a full rebuild because they saw value in paying legit money for Suzuki, in paying legit money for Stroman, and they're gonna and they went after Correa, right? And they're gonna do some of that again this off season. So you don't have to wait for the development of all the kids to fill the spots. So a full rebuild waits and then just adds where you need it, where the kids aren't good enough, right? The other thing is that a full rebuild waits for all the kids to kind of be ready at the same time. And they did that the first time. The Mets did it with pitchers. The White Sox did it with position players. And you're kind of hoping that everything hits at the same time in terms of all those kids, the way the Indians did in the 90s or, or whatever. That's not what they're doing because they have kids at wildly different points in the, in, within the system. So you kind of can't do it with where they are unless you really commit to being bad for three years. And they don't want to do that because they do want to be competitive. They do want to make you come to the ballpark. So, you know, and maybe it's reverse engineered a little bit because they don't want to openly, openly be bad for like three years. They don't want to commit to that and tell you that's what they're going to do, which they did last time. And there was more patience for it, but they're going to add veterans like they did with Suzuki and Stroman again this offseason. So as you're seeing them audition people to, you know, maybe be the shortstop of the future, they just sign Correa this coming offseason, then Nico Horner can then keep auditioning to be the third baseman of the future or the left fielder of the future. You know what I mean? That, that to me, is some of the key differences. Does that make any sense to you, John? Yeah, it does. I just, I'm just more, you know, I, I definitely understand what you're saying and, like, a lot of good points made there, but the, the whole situation with like how is, I mean, if if Chad goes to to, to the Ricketts family and says we just lost ninety games, now we want to dump two hundred million dollars into the payroll, is that realistic? You think they're going to say, all right, Chad, we think you, we we see your vision, we're going to we're going to okay that. I I, you know, I I think that the Ricketts family and everybody involved said okay to the potentiality of losing ninety games last November. I I, I, I that's what I think. Thank you for the call, John. I think last November. And December, they had conversations that were like, all right, we might be bad. Um, we're going to do this for a year. It might, it might be real ugly, guys. But, you know, we're not prioritizing winning on the big league level for a year. They're not. And th- to do that for one year is, is a different thing than to commit and do that for three years. That's why I refuse to call it a rebuild. Because that's the context that I think about is willingly sucking for a couple years or three years like the Cubs did, like the Astros did, like the White Sox did. Like so many different teams have done. That's not where they are. It's not what they're doing, for better or for worse. History will tell us whether you can actually build that way or that you have to get real bad. But I think that they believe, and Jed Hoyer referred to some of this with us during the week, that some of the rules don't allow them 
to do it like they did it the first time. International prospects are a lot different now. Exactly. You know, that's where they got a lot of their talent. Exactly. The way that that works is a a lot different than it used to be. The way that the international bonus pool works, the way that the draft works, it's different now. It doesn't, Jed doesn't think the environment really lends itself to the full teardown like it did even five, seven years ago. I think there's some wisdom in there. Thanks for the call. Um, we're getting better at talking about this. 670, the score is where you are. Justin Steele will join us, hopefully, within the next 5-10 minutes. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. It is hit and run. We'll talk to Justin Steele at about 1140. Very much looking forward to that. That'll wrap up the show today. Matt Spiegel here with you and Sean Sears producing. Sean, that's the Velvet Underground from New York City, one of the most New York bands of all the New York bands, um, emerging from the Andy Warhol scene to uh, change music for a long time, hey, forever. You know, they say not everybody who listened to the Vel- not everybody listened to the Velvet Underground, but everybody who did listen to the Velvet Underground formed a band. That's that's what they say, supposedly. Um, but anyway, New York, Arizona. You like trivia. I like trivia. Stump me. What you got for the New York Yankees, the opponent this weekend? Okay. So a little bit of an easier one here, but what did the New York Yankees, what was their name originally? What was their nickname before the Yankees? Um, the, uh, the oh, I, I know this, not the trolley Dodgers, the, um, God, not the Metropolitans. What the hell's wrong with me? The Knickerbockers? So it was the Knickerbockers at one point. They were so they were that they were the Highlanders another time. Highlanders, and then for whatever reason they were apparently the Baltimore Orioles before they got transitioned to the New York Yankees. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. Yeah, super random. Okay. Next question here. We'll stick with the Yankees here for a second. Um, who is the only Yankees rookie to ever win the home run derby? To the home run derby. Only only rookie to ever so, win the home run derby. Not the home run crown. Right, but, but just the home, the, run derby. the home run derby itself, the Ooh. event in the All-Star break. Aaron Judge? You nailed it, yeah. All right. Aaron Judge. Lots uh, lots of power for that guy. Hope he's in it again this year. He would be fun. Him and uh, him and uh, Schwarber going at it would be a fun time, too. Um, next question here for you. Who is the only Yankees pitcher to set an American League record with 41 wins on a season? 41 wins Yeah, for a Yankees pitcher. Wasn't Big Bill Bevins, was it? No, that was uh, a good guess, though. Um, Forty-one wins. Mm, I forget. It was uh, Jack Chesborough. Jack Chesborough. See, I thought it was Whitey Ford. That was moving okay. my guess. No, forty-one is is outrageous. Um, Chesborough's a long time ago. Okay. Okay, so here's some. Uh, I got a little bit of uh, Arizona. Yeah, a little bit of Arizona. Okay, this here. will be more more recent vintage. Yes, right, sir. right. Who was the first player to throw a perfect game for the Diamondbacks? Um, first player to throw a perfect game for the Diamondbacks was it the was it was it the Korean pitcher? Um, why can't I remember the name of the? Korean pitcher who was a Diamondback sensation. Um, no, uh, Randy Johnson. That is correct. Yeah, it was Randy I, Johnson? It was Randy Johnson. Okay, I thought it might have been Edwin Jackson, but that was that. That's a, like that's a no hitter. No hitter. Yeah, yeah, he walked a bunch of guys. Yeah, and, nasty, nasty. Yeah, hundred forty some no and hundred forty some pitch no hitter. I okay. was Randy Johnson. Okay, right. 
so I guess right on the nose there. But who is the youngest player in the Diamondbacks starting lineup for their 2001 World Series? Oh, gosh. That's interesting. Yeah. So youngest player in the starting lineup? Yeah. So who was the youngest player in their starting lineup for that 2001 World Series team? Ooh. It's an older team, if that helps you. Yeah. Uh, Craig Council. Um, Tony Womack. Uh, Mark Grace, Matt Williams, Luis Gonzalez. It was Luis Gonzalez. Gonzalez was the youngest player on that in that starting lineup, and he was 31 years old. That's crazy. They were really a veteran bunch. They really were built to win right then. Okay, last question for you, and this will be an easy one. What what year did the Diamondbacks play their first game? They played their first game with Buck Showalter as the manager. Uh, it's funny because they had a minor league system for a year before they had the right. big league system. Uh, I will say ninety-five. Ooh, it's it's actually ninety-eight. Ninety-eight. I, okay. I thought it was ninety-seven myself. Okay, actually. so ninety-eight for the beginning of the Diamondbacks. All righty, thank you, sir. Um, keep it coming. I enjoy the efforts to stump me. Uh, Justin Steele of the Cubs going to join us in five minutes on the score. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Steele takes a deep breath on the mound, sets at the belt, and delivers the 2-2. Swing and a miss, strike three. Perdomo is retired, got him with a 93-mile-per-hour fastball, strikeout number nine on the afternoon for Steele. You know, I thought he was good. Uh, You know, I don't think he was as as efficient as he would like to be, right? I mean, 90 pitches through five, I think that's close to as far as we've given him. You know, it just, I don't know that I was that tempted the way our bullpen's been throwing the ball, and and I thought he had to work kind of hard in those early innings. Sometimes those can bite you on the back end. That's David Ross talking about Justin Steele. Interesting there. You look at the box score and thought Steele was very good yesterday, um, but Ross wanted more. He always wants more. He should want more. He wants efficiency, and that's what Justin did the first time out. Still open for a conversation with Justin Steele as we round out today's hit and run here on 670 The Score, and we'll see if indeed Justin is able to come through and uh, have the conversation with us that we would like to have. Lots of games coming up today, a full slate of games on a Sunday, including a doubleheader in New York between the White Sox and the Yankees. Elsewhere, Tampa Bay and Baltimore um, battling in a game. That's Corey Kluber going for Tampa Bay. And Seattle and the Red Sox up there at Fenway. My brother and his wife sitting at Fenway yesterday watching Rafael Devers hit two home runs, sitting very close because that's how my bro likes to roll, Um, and happened to see him in the background of the video on the MLB at bat app with the highlights of that game. Saw my bro and my sister-in-law right there, and was able to screen cap it and freeze it and send it to them. was very, very fun and sort of ridiculous to have that moment. Like, hey, there they are. This is my family. There they are. They're they're right there. Um, Miami and the Braves with a real good matchup of pitchers this afternoon. 
uh, down there in Miami. Sandy Alcantara and Ian Anderson is the matchup for the Braves and the Marlins. And uh, lots of other interesting games around, including, of course, the Cubs and D-backs finishing up Merrill Kelly against Wade Miley later on today over at Wrigley Field. You'll hear it here on 670 The Score. Me, I'm Matt Spiegel. I host Baseball Conversation every Sunday from 9 a.m. to noon right here on The Score. It's Hit and Run and joining us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book, is Justin Steele, the Cubs left-hander. Very good, a couple of starts in a row, having a really nice year. And, and actually, it was nice to watch him last year, too, as one of the bright spots of this team is watching young pitchers like Justin Steele finding what seems to be a comfort level in the big league rotation. Justin, thanks for the time. How you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. How did you feel yesterday? Uh, we just played the cut from David Ross where he said he wished you were a little bit more efficient early on, but you got through five and struck out a lot of guys. How'd the stuff feel at the very least? I uh, felt good. Um, in the bullpen, warming up, kind of had all my pitches rolling. And then, yeah, like I'd say there was like one one patch in the game there. I kind of lost a little little bit of feel with my fastball, but was able to regain it. I just started going strictly out of the stretch in the fifth inning just because felt better as far as rhythm and tempo out of the stretch. So I just stopped going out of windup, just went out of the stretch. So that was a good adjustment that we made. That's interesting. What happens? Do you lose any velocity or any kind of power or spin on anything when you do that? I was actually throwing harder and better pitches out of the stretch. Um, out of the windup yesterday in the bullpen in the first few innings, I had my timing and my rhythm out of the windup, and then I kind of lost it for a little bit. So we were just like, well, it's, we know it's there out of the stretch, so let's just go out of the stretch. It's so crazy, man, what you do. Pitching is just so weird. Like the whole body has to work in concert perfectly. There's a lot of moving parts in a windup, isn't there, Justin? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No doubt about it. That's why you see a lot of guys nowadays that are just strictly out of the stretch because, I mean, the less movements you have to make to be efficient, the better. That's interesting. Um, it, you know, I, I saw where your thumb was kind of an issue before – before really this this last start, if I have this right, that the thumb was an issue in kind of gripping the slider, but then it became more comfortable. Is it still feeling that way? And 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 how subtle a, a change is that for you? The the thumb's good. Um, that was against the Dodgers. I came out after the fourth inning, and it was I don't know exactly what it was, but if you've ever had like a football or a basketball hit one of your fingers and like jam it, yeah. that's what it kind of that's what it kind of felt like, and it was just kind of had some swelling going on. And I don't, I didn't know what it was from, but like it was just pushing down on the ball was starting to get un, uncomfortable. Um, after that fourth inning, I started feeling it in the fourth inning. Came in with dugout, said something to uh, Tommy, and uh, I started like wiggling it around, trying to pop it and stuff. And I probably ended up making it a little bit worse. And then went back out to try and pitch with it, and it just was feeling uncomfortable. Didn't exactly know where the ball was going, so. Came in, the x-rays were fine. It was just uh, some swelling going on. So, got took some anti-inflammatories, got the swelling down, and, yeah, it, it's good now. All right, good. And and it, and it makes a big difference. I see the slider, the amount that you've thrown the slider last start when you struck out 10 and yesterday when you pitched so well, like the, still, that slider's going up. Is that is that in relation to that thumb, or is that just something you're trying to do, throw the slider more? Um, I'm just putting myself in situations where the slider is kind of the best pitch to go to. Like I, I feel like here lately I've been doing a good job to get into two strikes as fast as I can. And then 
this slider's kind of been my put-away pitch as of late. Um, it's been getting the most results as far as swing and misses. I still have my curveball and felt good with my curveball yesterday as well. It's just kind of started with the slider and kept it rolling because I was kind of getting the results that I wanted with it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've been feeling really good with it. It's a pitch I learned back in uh, – covid year so that was 2020 at the alt site and um it's definitely helped out a lot all right good stuff talking to justin Steele here on 670 the score wade miley going today what can you learn by watching wade miley a veteran who knows what the hell he's doing you you can learn a lot from someone like wade miley and i have already so much i talk to him every single day he's from louisiana not far from where i'm at in mississippi so we kind of have a connection there um knew knew some common people common friends so we kind of i'd heard about him and stuff knew he knew he's in the big leagues obviously growing up and stuff so it's awesome to get to play with him but i try to pick his brain as much as i can he's very intelligent knows the game very well try to talk to him as much as i possibly can just to pick his mind and learn as much as i can what do you what do you like about the way that he throws and the way that he goes about his business when he's rolling during a start it's if you look down for 30 seconds, you're going to miss an inning. Like, he works so fast. It's incredible. Like, I, I I, can try to work fast, but there's so many moments, like, in the game, I'm kind of just out there, like, thinking about what I should throw. I'm, like, kicking dirt on the mound and stuff. But he's, like, he gets the ball, and he's already on the rubber again, ready to throw the next pitch. You know, we had Mark Burley of the White Sox for, you know, forever in this town who, who was like that. And, like, there's something – fielders love that. Too, don't they? Fielders love it, but what's the yeah, yeah, yeah? Yeah. It keeps it keeps the fielders and outfielders engaged in the game. Mm -hmm. What's the give and take for you, like as a pitcher? If you work faster, like, do you worry that you get less power on a fastball if you're working faster? Because there's there's probably a benefit though in terms of the hitter being more beholden to your pace, right? Like you might be in charge of it more if you're working faster in some ways. Yeah. Um. I try to have like an even balance because I don't want to work too fast to where I'm like get making myself tired and like not thinking like, you know, going through what I should throw. And so just like getting the ball and going as fast as I can. You know, I like to like if I'm say I miss with a pitch high and I like take a step off the rubber or whatever, take a breath, rub the ball up. I'm thinking like, all right, miss here. Let's aim here and see where this one goes. And then I'm kind of like doing that game and wait, <laughs> wait is just out there. Like, give me the ball here. It's, it's coming right back to you. <laughs> you tell you what though, you, Justin Steele, you've got a power and a presence out there on the mound. And, and I'm not the only one seeing it. Patrick wisdom said this about after your last start, he just has that kind of persona and that energy about him, that aura. He's intense on the mound, and I love it. That's pretty cool to hear a teammate say that. Are you are you consciously thinking about you know being from a position of power? Confidence matters on the mound. Um, I mean, I definitely try to be confident. And, you know, I mean, I think confidence is very important in this game. I mean, along with any other sport, it's important to have confidence. Um, but yeah, I mean. Patty gets to see it up close and personal because I mean, when if I if I strike somebody out or do something to where the ball is being thrown around the infield, and he's the last one that gets it and he throws it to me, and I usually have a pretty intense look on my face when he's throwing me the ball. So, 
he's probably like, all right, let's just hand the ball back to him. <laughs> Justin Steele uh, here with the Cubs. I'll tell you what I love about your numbers. I was looking at uh, on Baseball Savant. I don't. Are you into that stuff? Do you look at Baseball Savant ever? Kind of fun. Uh, I don't really look at numbers that much. Good for you. Whatever works for you. But I saw that you're in the 99th percentile in terms of barrel percentage. Let me give you the actual just words on that. That means people are not hitting it off the barrel against you very often out of uh, like a hundred percent of the pitchers you are in the, at the one of the very very best in terms of keeping people from hitting it on the barrel very hard and long the way that they all want to every time um it, that that's pretty cool that means you're getting soft contact and not real powerful contact well let's stay right there <laughs> right I know. It's, yeah. it, I mean, are you thinking about getting bad contact? Sometimes you get a lot of swing and miss, but if they hit it, you want them to hit it weekly, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, I'm not really scared if they do hit it. I'm kind of – I mean, I, I'm trying to induce swings. Like, I want them to swing at it because, I mean, if they sit up there and just take pitches, you know, and like I end up throwing competitive pitches – working working the at bat they're fouling pitches off like sometimes you want them to put it in play so you can just get a quick out but um i mean that's a really cool stat that's thanks for sharing that with me oh yeah man yeah you got it no i mean it, it jumped out at me it's it, it's pretty cool um are you uh are you enjoying some of the new kids man like brandon hughes is pretty damn excited to be there and that morell have you gotten a christopher morell hug yeah, Justin Steele? Oh, 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 yeah, me and Morell, we've known each other quite some time now. Me and Morell are pretty close, and, it, I mean, it's it's amazing watching guys come up here and uh, just watching their dreams come true because, I mean, it wasn't – I mean, it was last year when I made my debut, and I just remember how special it was, how much sleep I didn't get. I was just staying up all night from the adrenaline from the game, and I didn't even have to pitch, and I was just, like, still kind of pinching myself to make sure everything was – real and I wasn't dreaming so I know how excited they are and it's really cool to see it from this side that's awesome yeah someday you'll be the old head someday someday like some radio guy will be saying like what's it like to learn from Justin Steele instead of Wade Miley (laughs) you know so I hope so all right man hey thanks so much for the time Justin nice to get to talk to you a little bit and I know the fans dug it too so enjoy yourself good luck Thank you for having me. You got it. Of course, that's Justin Steele from the Chicago Cubs. It's 670 the score. Matt Spiegel wrapping it up on hit and run. Um, you are you are um, going to be listening to the score. You're going to be listening to Cody Decker down the line in a matter of moments. Cody, have a good show, man. Thank you to our guest today, Justin Steele, Chris Kampka, and Doug Glanville. Thank you to our producer, Sean Sears, who did a great great job and thank you to our associate producer ruben spiegel nice job sir way to screen a call um cody decker's up next and cubs baseball i'm back with parkins and spiegel monday through friday starting tomorrow at two o'clock have a great day everybody enjoy your sunday TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love. 
Hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t